Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The good news, Brittany Griner is headed home. The bad news, so is one of the world's most notorious arms dealers. The lead starts right now. After 294 days in Russian custody, basketball star Brittany Griner is on her way back to the United States. This hour, new details about the prisoner swap, the tense negotiations, and the Bond villain known as the Merchant of Death, whom Russia is getting back in exchange. Plus, CNN spoke with the former U.S. Marine Paul Whelan, who remains stuck in a Russian prison. But I don't understand why I'm still sitting here. My bags are packed. I'm ready to go home. Whelan's sister is here with more reaction to Griner's release. And a House investigation revealing a culture of fear inside the corporate offices of an NFL team. Sexual harassment, bullying, toxic conduct all alleged, and the team owner who reportedly lied to Congress about it all. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. We start today with our world lead. After nearly 10 months in Russian detention, U.S. basketball star Brittany Griner is on her way home. This new video from Russian state media shows Griner earlier today. When she was released as part of a prisoner swap, you can see Griner walking on a tarmac before boarding a plane and heading to meet U.S. officials. What's your mood? Happy. Happy. <laughs> well, are you ready for a long flight? Uh, yes. Yes. Griner's wife, Sherelle, celebrated Britney's release at the White House earlier today with President Biden, Vice President Harris, and Secretary of State Antony Blinken. I'm just standing here um, overwhelmed with emotions, but the most important emotion that I have right now is just sincere gratitude um, for President Biden and his entire administration. But even while we celebrate Griner's freedom, today's swap has its critics. In exchange for Griner, the U.S. released notorious Russian arms dealer Victor Boot, who was serving a 25-year prison sentence on charges of conspiring to kill Americans. Many on Capitol Hill today say this simply was a bad trade. And left behind in Russian detention is former U.S. Marine Paul Whelan, who was arrested in 2018 on espionage charges and sentenced after a sham trial. President Biden insisted today... His administration will keep working to free Whelan, who spoke exclusively to CNN earlier today after learning about Brittany Griner's release. The president and his team are going to have to look at what they have that is valuable, that these people want, and hopefully give it to them. Or I'll be here for a long time. And to be quite honest, in these conditions, who knows how I'll come back or if I'll come back. In a few moments, I'm going to speak to Paul Whelan's sister, Elizabeth, but we're going to start today with CNN's Kylie Atwood at the U.S. State Department with more details now on how this prisoner swap was finalized. After nearly 10 months in detention, Brittany Griner has been released from Russia. Russian state media showing her boarding a plane from an undisclosed location. Are you ready for a flight? Uh, yes. Yes. The Biden administration bringing her home in a prisoner swap months in the making. She's safe. 
She's on a plane. She's on her way home. After months of being unjustly detained in Russia, held under intolerable circumstances. The president and Griner's wife, Sherelle, speaking to Brittany, who's on her way back to the United States after being released to U.S. officials in Abu Dhabi. Today is just a happy day for me and my family, so um, I'm going to smile right now. <laughs> Griner's team, the Phoenix Mercury, tweeting, no more days, she's coming home. According to senior administration officials, the deal came together in just the last two days when Griner was moved from the penal colony where she'd been serving a nine-year sentence. The officials describing Griner as extremely upbeat and all smiles. But Griner's release did not come cheaply. The United States exchanging arms trafficker Victor Boot the so-called merchant of death. He was serving a 25-year prison sentence in the United States for charges including conspiring to kill Americans. Even amid joy for freeing Griner, sadness today for the family of another American who is left behind, Paul Whalen, who has been in Russian prison for almost four years. Officials from the Department of Justice expressing frustration that an earlier deal allowing Boots' release, which U.S. officials had proposed, included Griner and Whalen. Lawmakers also expressed apprehension about normalizing prisoner swaps. I think this is good news, good news for Brittany, um, for her family. That's the risk, is that the more we engage in such exchanges, um, the more Americans are at risk of being scooped up and held as leverage. Whelan is serving a 16-year sentence for espionage, charges he vehemently denies. He spoke exclusively to CNN's Jennifer Hansler from a penal colony, saying he was pleased for Griner but greatly disappointed he wasn't included. I don't understand why I'm still sitting here. I was led to believe that things were moving in the right direction and that the governments were negotiating and that something would happen fairly soon. And despite the administration's earlier efforts to include Whelan in the deal, they say Russia made it clear it wasn't going to happen. They continue to insist on sham charges of espionage and are treating Paul's case differently. This was not a choice of which American to bring home. The choice was one or none. As the administration says they're still working on his release, Whelan begging President Biden to free him regardless of the cost. My bags are packed. I'm ready to go home. I just need an airplane to come and get me. Now, of course, Griner on her way back to the United States. According to U.S. officials, she's headed to San Antonio. We don't know, Jake, exactly when she's going to land there. But there is a Department of Defense facility there that provides support for those who are out of isolation. We've seen other uh, American detainees who have returned to the United States head to that same facility. We don't know how long she'll stay there, though. That'll be up to Griner and her wife in terms of what she needs in terms of medical and any mental support. Jake? Kylie, just to, just to underline this, uh, the Biden administration is saying that the only deal on the table was Victor Boot for Brittany Griner. Paul Whelan was not on the table. Is that, is that right? They are saying that's the only deal that Russia would accept at this time. So, of course, what they're hoping is that Russia will accept another proposed deal for Whelan down the road. They just can't be assured when that'll happen. And they wanted to take the opportunity to seize this deal while they could. All right, Kylie Atwood at the State Department, thanks so much, and thanks for clarifying. Some Republican lawmakers are criticizing the decision to trade Victor Boot back to the Russians, given the serious crimes that led to his nickname, the Merchant of Death. And take a listen to what former U.S. Attorney Preet Bharara, who prosecuted Boot, told me about him earlier this year. 
I can say from my perspective as the person who oversaw the prosecution of Victor Boot, he's a dangerous person. Uh, he was one of the most prolific arms dealers in the world. He was convicted in a U.S. federal court in New York of conspiracy to kill Americans. Let's bring in CNN's Matthew Chance now. Matthew, why was securing Victor Boot's release so important to the Kremlin? Well, it's a good question, and it sort of raises the question as to why, over so many years since his detention back in 2006, the Kremlin have been bending over backwards uh, and trying to negotiate on every level to get Victor Boot back home. There's been all sorts of speculation that Victor Boot, who, of course, ran this massive arms uh, smuggling enterprise, is closely connected with the inner circle of Vladimir Putin. Um, he very much denies that, uh, that he's got the dirt on you know, Russian operations uh, or Russian attempts to arm rebel groups around the world in the 1990s and the 2000s when his arms smuggling uh, enterprise was at its height. And so, look, it's a big win for Putin to get um, Victor Boot back because if they were concerned about any of that information leaking, they're now making sure uh, that it's not going to leak because they've got him back in, in, in Russia where he's arrived uh, over the course of the past couple of hours. There's, there's a broader issue as well, which is you know, Victor Boot is a pretty big core celeb in Russia, I'd say. Lots of people know his name. He's a figure on television. He's been sort of campaigned for his release for some time. Um, this is the Kremlin now being able to say, look, you know, we don't leave our citizens overseas. We, we get them back. And so it's a big political boon for Putin. Will the U.S. try to track Victor Boot's movements and activities now that he is free and back in Russia? Uh, good question. Uh, I guess it depends what Victor Boot does. Um, uh, look, I mean, his, his lawyer in Russia has said, look, there's been a pardon signed by President Biden. Uh, the American interest in Victor Boot is now over. Um, but, you know, if Victor Boot goes back to his uh, old arms smuggling ways, then I expect he will be back on uh, the U.S. radar. His lawyer told me earlier tonight that he's probably going to live a more quiet life now. But uh, we shall see. We shall see indeed. Matthew Chance, thanks so much. Joining us now to discuss... Maria Blagovolina, she represented Brittany Griner in Russian court. Um, Maria, congratulations on getting your client uh, out, playing the role that you did. When did you Thank find you. out that Brittany was going to be released? And, and what was Brittany's reaction uh, when she found out? Well, we found out about the release, in fact, today. But there were signs, there were positive signs, I would say, which appeared last week. And I got a call from Brittany at the end of last week, and she told me that she's hopeful. So we had an understanding that things will be happening very, very soon. Now, so she was just, as I said, she was very hopeful, and she was expecting this to happen. For months, the discussion has been about swapping Victor Boot, who is a, a real criminal and a dangerous person, for both Brittany Griner and Paul Whelan. Was that ever really on the table as far as the Russians were concerned? Uh, well, Jake, I'm not uh, Paul Willen's lawyer. I'm Brittany Griner's lawyer. And the lawyers, the legal team, was not involved into the negotiations. So this was, you know, just between the two governments. But what I know for sure that Brittany is absolutely happy to be heading back home and that her family is happy and very relieved. What can you tell us about Brittany's condition? How has she been doing in recent days and weeks, both in terms of her physical health and, of course, her, her psychological and emotional health? Uh, last few weeks since the transfer to Mordovia were very challenging for Brittany. It was very stressful. Also, she got flu and she recovered last week. So it's, I think it uh, was the most difficult time for her. 
you got to the transfer to Mordova. You got, yeah, you got to visit uh, Brittany in that penal colony where she was held. We've heard about some really severe, harsh conditions at some of those places. How bad was it? Well, this is not a holiday resort. This is jail, and the conditions there are really harsh. I mean, that's truth. But uh, what I can say for sure, that uh, Brittany has no complaint and that she was treated very well. And I think that the reason for this is mostly because of her very likable character, people like her. So everybody who is around her just, you know, is trying to help her and to support her. What did it mean for Brittany to hear about all the support she was receiving back home during her detention? It really meant a lot. I think this is what helped her to survive and to remain strong during all these difficult nine months. She very much appreciated this. Do you think that more prisoner swaps could be on the table between the United States and Russia? Well, until there are prisoners in both countries, I think this is possible, yes. Maria Blagovolina, thank you so much. Appreciate your time today. Then, of course, there's Paul Whelan, one of the two Americans left out of the prisoner swap despite months of discussions. We're going to talk to his sister next. Also ahead, the two major pieces of legislation passed today and now headed to President Biden's desk for his signature and the specific request from police in Idaho almost four weeks after the the murders of four college students. Could this indicate which way their investigation may be handled? And we're back with our world lead, First Lady Jill Biden, seen sharing a hug with Sherelle Griner there. Sherelle Griner, the wife of WNBA star Brittany Griner. This is after they both learned that Brittany had been released from Russian detention earlier today. And while we're all happy for Griner's family, of course, the family of Paul Whelan, another American unjustly detained, is worried that there is nothing the U.S. can give the Kremlin to bring him home. Joining us now to discuss Paul Whelan's sister, Elizabeth. Elizabeth, I know... You're happy for the Griners, but this is also a difficult day for your family. How are you doing? How is your family doing? Well, I think we're doing as well as can be expected. I mean, whatever we're going through is nothing compared to what Paul is going through uh, at IK-17 in Mordovia, Russia. But you're right. We're celebrating Brittany's return. It's always a wonderful thing for an American who has been wrongfully detained to come back to the United States. Uh, That's a, a big win. I understand you spoke to President Biden and Secretary of State Blinken this afternoon. Can you tell us about those calls? Yes, they were both reassuring me that the uh, the fight continues. And, and that is what I had believed all the way along. But it's always good to get those calls and, and be able to discuss uh, how we can move ahead and get Paul home. How is Paul doing? When was the last time you spoke with him? Well, I haven't spoken to him in person in quite a while, but he speaks with my parents and he was able to call them this morning. Uh, He is doing extremely well under the circumstances in terms of his resilience and courage, but he is also devastated that once again, somebody is going home and it's not him. He's been there for almost four years, but he is a, he is a bright fellow. He understands the situation. It's, uh, it's Russia who's created this. It's Russia who is dividing up the, uh, prisoners and trying to cause as much dissension back in the U S as they can. And, uh, they're doing a fine job of it. We need to bring it to an end. The White House says negotiating for your brother's release is different than negotiating for the release of Brittany Griner or or Trevor Reed, for that matter, who was released earlier this year. Uh, Take a listen to what the National Security Council's John Kirby said on CNN earlier today. 
It has to do with the nature of the sham charges against him, which were based on espionage. And that's what uh, that's the that's the hook uh, that the Russians seem to have in him. Uh, and uh, and we're just not able to uh, to to deal with him the same way we were able to, to deal with Mr. Reed or in this case, Ms. Greiner. What's your response when you when you hear that? Well, he's, he's got it right. Uh, the Russians concocted a fairy tale about Paul. Um, they set him up with the, the stupid uh, USB drive back on December the 28th in 2018 um, and said that it had state secrets, then held a sham trial where no evidence was produced, uh, and then sentenced him to 16 years for this, uh, this quote-unquote crime of espionage. And it's all theater, um, and it's all to be able to have some sort of leverage over the U.S. and to be able to have a prisoner that they consider high value. But it's ridiculous because Paul is not a spy. Um, and it, it at the same time, it puts the U.S. in a difficult position because Russia refuses to act as if uh, there's anything else that can be done uh, for Paul, like there was for, for uh, Trevor and Brittany. So we, of course, are, are hoping that um, we'll figure out a way, a way to get around this. Is there another prisoner that the Russians want to get out as much as they have wanted Victor Boot, this arms dealer, to get out? Well, the family doesn't know all the details about all the negotiations um, as much as sometimes I would like to. Um, so we don't really know exactly what all of the discussions have entailed. But I, um, I feel very certain that if there was something that we could have done to, uh, to get pullback, that that would have been done. Because, you know, there are a lot of people moaning and groaning about Victor Boot going uh, back to Russia. But I've got to say... Uh, it's an amazing thing to be able to get Brittany back. Uh, it, it's it's a win for us. Um, and we tend to always look at, you know, well, what's Russia getting out of this? We have to also look at what we're getting out of this. We're getting a wrongfully detained American back home. Um, it, it's something to celebrate. And then we have to keep pushing on to figure out what is going to unlock the situation to get my brother home as well. So uh, I've seen a lot of chatter on social media among um, prominent conservatives. It's along the lines of, Biden was willing to to free Victor Boot for a celebrity who hates America. Uh, that's their words, not mine, as opposed to standing up and fighting to get the release of a of a Marine. And as the sister of that Marine, I'm, I'm wondering what your reaction is when you, when you hear about such criticisms. Well, I think those are those arguments are, are purposefully missing the nuance of what happens in negotiations over uh, wrongful detainees. Um, it, it, that's that's a, an unfortunate way to characterize the situation. There, there should be no American standing against getting home a wrongfully detained American who's being held overseas because hostile foreign countries are trying to start problems over here. They're trying to create dissension and difficulties. Um, it, it may be one of the reasons why uh, Brittany was held wrongfully uh, in the first place. So I would urge everyone to, uh, you know, to keep their partisan sniping out of it. Um, if they've got some better ideas on how this administration should be approaching uh, getting people home, then I'm sure that the folks over at the NSC would be happy to hear what those ideas are. Uh, we need some unity here um, and everybody join together to help get, him, get my brother back. Your other brother, David, said on CNN this morning that he thinks the U.S. doesn't have any concessions left to give the Russians in exchange for Paul. Um, have you talked to him about that? Do you agree? 
well, I understand where he's what he's what he's saying, and that is that you know of all the items that have been offered, and we don't know the extent of them. It seems that Russia doesn't want those. So I don't I don't know what the answer is, um, and I certainly plan on working with the administration to to try to figure that out. Um, my job as a family member is to keep pushing this whole thing along, but I think it's time to start playing hardball on this. You know, we we tend to approach things from a from a diplomatic posture. Uh, of, in negotiation. And I think in this particular case, we're dealing with a number of people who are willing to break all the rules, uh, you know, to make their, their points. We don't want to do that. We don't want to become like that. But we do need to be able to fight against it. One of the most moving things about this sad club that you're in, um, this regrettable club that you're in, is, is how much you all stand up for each other. I remember um, when we did our special, when we interviewed Trevor Reed, he insisted that the, that the Whelans and Paul's story be part of the hour that we spent talking about his story. And Brittany Griner's wife, Sherelle, mentioned your family when she spoke from the White House earlier today. Let's play a part of that. BG's not here to say this, but I will gladly speak on her behalf and say that BG and I will remain committed to the work of getting every American home, including Paul, whose family is in our hearts today as we celebrate BG being home. What's your response to that? Well, I tear up to begin with. Um, it, it's true. There's a fellow feeling amongst uh, the families of whose loved ones are, you know, there are 19 different countries holding Americans now. The numbers keep growing, in part because we're not doing a very good job of punishing uh, these countries for for these malevolent acts. But to have that kind of support is so important. There are other families, such as the ones in Iran, who've gone through this more times than we have. This is the second time for Paul. Um, but this is this is unfortunately something that happens. These countries decide that they're only going to let certain prisoners go and they're going to hold on to others. Um, this is not something we always have the power to wave a magic wand and, and solve. Um, but I'm certainly hoping that we can make some larger efforts towards my brother's release. And we're going to keep uh, shining a light on his story, uh, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. We're also following two major pieces of legislation that President Biden is expected to sign, one on same-sex marriage, the other increasing defense spending. The potential impact of both next. Stopping our politics lead, two major pieces of bipartisan legislation clearing the House of Representatives today. Lawmakers passing a critically important national defense funding bill and another mandating that states recognize same-sex and interracial marriages. In one of her very last acts as Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi triumphantly announced that bill's passage, banging her gavel repeatedly amid raucous applause from the chamber. CNN Chief Congressional Correspondent Manu Raju is live for us on Capitol Hill. Manu, the marriage bill is headed to President Biden's desk right now. What, what does it actually do? Well, it would repeal the 1996 Defense of Marriage Act. That law set the definition for a marriage, said it was between a man and a woman. It allowed one state to deny another state's same-sex marriage if they recognized it in that state. You can't do that anymore under this legislation. Each state would have to recognize another state's legally valid marriage. It does not set a national standard, as some activists had wanted, but it does add that it deals with it on the state level. Now, it also includes some exe religious exemptions for some churches who might not want to perform a same 
same-sex marriage. They don't have to worry about their tax-exempt status being revoked. That was necessary to get 12 Republicans to support it in the Senate. It ultimately passed there today, passing with bipartisan support in the House. I asked Mark Pocan, who's, a, who's gay, who is married, about the criticism from some on the left that this did not go far enough and provided too many exceptions, and he pushed back. Well, this bill goes far enough that if an activist Supreme Court decides to go after the law, they can't anymore. We just solidified uh, federal law to make sure that my marriage and other people's marriage can continue to be recognized. So to me, that's a pretty significant accomplishment. We don't have to have a fear of a direct attack from an activist court. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's a very important bill. And I'm glad we got it done. And the vote today was 258 yes votes, 169 no votes, which are all Republican votes. 39 Republicans did vote for it. And that is a sea change, though, Jake, since the the Defense of Marriage Act was enacted in 1996 when 67 members voted against that law. Today, 258 members voted to repeal it. But you note that 39 House Republicans voted for this bill, but that's less than the 47 House Republicans who voted for the same bill this summer, uh, despite including language here, uh, allowing religious liberty exceptions. What happened? What happened to those eight votes? Yeah, some of those Republican members said they were, were actually critical of those religious liberty exceptions, say they didn't go, did not go far enough, and argued that perhaps some of these churches could be, uh, could be hit with lawsuits if they decided not to uh, perform a same-sex marriage. That uh, argument, of course, had been rejected by some of these advocates of this legislation, but that is the argument why that there are fewer Republicans this time supporting this bill despite the fact that the earlier version of the bill did not provide any of those religious exemptions. Nevertheless, Jake, this is passed by bipartisan support and will be signed into law by Joe Biden in the days ahead. All right, Manu Raju on Capitol Hill. Thanks. Now to the other major bill that just cleared the House of Representatives, the nearly $860 billion National Defense Authorization Act. That comes with significant changes to the military's policies and funding and notably a repeal of the military's COVID vaccine mandate. Let's bring in Republican Congressman Mike Waltz of Florida. He's on the House Armed Services Committee. He's also the first Green Beret to ever serve in Congress. Congressman, let's start with one of the biggest sticking points, which was just recently resolved. Uh, The COVID vaccine mandate has now been repealed for service members. Now, as I don't need to tell you, when you joined the Army, there were all sorts of vaccine mandates for other diseases. Those requirements still stand. Why should COVID be any different? Well, Jake, I think this was a, this was a, a big win uh, for Kevin McCarthy, who raised this as a key issue with the president, and I certainly want to applaud him for that. Look, it was time for the vaccine mandate to go, Jake. Uh, the, the driving force for it was to stop the spread. Of course, you can't have members getting into a submarine or military members getting into a tank and infecting their other crew members, but it's now very clear that despite what we thought early on or told early on, the vaccine doesn't stop the spread. It's going to spread whether you're vaccinated or not. That then makes it a a personal health decision. The other thing that we were hearing from the Pentagon was that, well, but, you know, we can't have military members getting sick. It's a readiness issue. Jake, this is the healthiest population in America. And if you actually look at the science, you actually look at the statistics, Uh, Yeah, some people may get infected, but they weren't getting seriously sick at 19, 20, 21 years old. In fact, the military's lost fewer members than they do in training or in car accidents. Uh, So at the end of the day, when you weigh the risk, and we can talk about how it got politicized, but at the end of the day, if they were about to kick out over 20,000 
National Guardsmen and women, they had already discharged over 8,500 active duty members. Uh, that is a massive blow to our readiness that we can't afford in the middle of a recruiting crisis, in the middle of massive, uh, massive military buildup uh, from China. We just literally couldn't replace those folks. So I think this was a common sense approach. It was time to go. Several of your Republican colleagues have slammed Democrats for what they perceive to be overspending on aid to Ukraine. Uh, this legislation would give nearly $3 billion to restock munitions, which partially went to Ukraine, plus right. an additional $800 million for Ukraine security assistance, which is half a billion dollars more than President Biden uh, asked for. What's your assessment? Do you think uh, this is the right amount? Yeah, look, I think we need to see two things going forward, Jake. Number one, uh, we need to see better oversight. We also included an inspector general uh, for Ukraine aid to have a clear understanding and transparency. Where is it going? How is it being used? Is it being used as effectively as it should be? But I think the bigger issue here, Jake, is that Europe has got to step up here. Germany in particular has delivered a fraction of what they promised. Heck, the Wall Street Journal just came out of analysis from an economic standpoint. Germany's trade with Russia is down a whopping 3%. Uh, you know, they are by far the most effective. Their security is absolutely at risk. If Putin slices through Ukraine uh, easily, he will move on. He has stated he will re try to reconstitute the old Soviet Union. That then means uh, invoking the NATO treaty and U.S. troops involved. I want to prevent that. But Europe has got to, I mean, they've got to start bearing the burden here and, and sharing the burden and doing their fair share. And they're just, certain European countries are not. And, well, and, and the American taxpayers, uh, I think, rightly want to know where it's going and, and are our allies doing everything that they should be doing. Yeah, and part of the NATO agreement is that all the countries spend 2% of their gross domestic product on their own military. German, right. Germany is not doing that still, despite Prime Minister Olaf Scholz's promise uh, to invest. Actually, he said he would invest more than 2%. That's right. Uh, they just reversed it. After Putin yeah. invaded Ukraine. Um, you've said the U.S. needs to call Germany out. What does that calling out look like beyond just you and me uh, or, you know, President Biden, I suppose, saying so publicly? What else should the U.S. be doing? Well, look, I mean, you have defense ministerials, you have foreign minister ministerials, you have NATO summits. Uh, we have our bilateral relationship uh, with Germany. Uh, you know, we certainly called them out on the Nord Stream 2 pipeline and Congress put sanctions in place that unfortunately this administration lifted, which I think was a partial green light for Putin to think he could get away with it. Uh, I think there just needs to be a lot more pressure uh, and a lot more noise uh, rather than a blip in a headline that Germany has completely done a 180 on their promises as Ukraine is being devastated. And rather than just saying, American taxpayer, you've got to do more, how about we say, Europe, you need to step up. This is in, in directly affecting your national security. And I just don't see that from the administration. You've been, you've been vocal on today's big news, the prisoner swap that secured Brittany Griner's release. Republican yeah. Minority Leader McCarthy called it a, quote, sign of weakness from the Biden administration. You tweeted, quote, the Biden administration is giving priority to a celebrity over a, a veteran. Uh, Elizabeth Whelan, Paul Whelan's uh, sister, um, said to me just a few minutes ago that nobody should be uh, sniping like that, that people should just be rejoicing that an American is freed. And the White House uh, has made it clear that the offer from Russia was boot for Griner or no deal. Yeah. The guy who negotiates these deals is Roger Carstens. I'm sure you know him, retired yeah, Army Lieutenant Colonel. 
a holdover from the Trump administration. Mm. Uh, we all wish that Paul Whelan was coming home, but why was your reaction the way it was? But, but Jake, look, this is a tactical victory. I'm glad she's coming home, but this is a strategic loss. And, and the National Security Council and the Commander-in-Chief need to be looking at our policy. The reason the Iranian regime, the Taliban, Putin himself continue to take Americans hostage is we continue to make concessions and our approach to getting uh, to wheeling out can't be, well, we just didn't find a good enough concession that Putin would deal with. When do we start dictating the terms to these regimes? When do we start setting the terms instead of just trying to find more and more to give? Because that only leads to more and more hostage taking. So I understand the family's focus on the moment, but we need to be looking at a broader strategy. And until we start raising the costs, until Putin, the Iranian regime, the Syrian regime, which is, uh, you know, Austin Tice is still missing, the Taliban who just got their biggest drug dealer out in exchange for one of their hostage, say this is going to cost us too much in terms of sanctions, diplomatic isolation, yeah. or even military action. We better back off here. They're just going to keep doing it, Jake, and more and more Americans are going to find themselves in this situation. And that's what I find so frustrating about this deal. Florida Republican Congressman Mike Waltz, thanks for being with us. We appreciate your time today. Coming up next, a specific thanks, request from police in Idaho that may suggest a focus of their investigation into the murders of four college students. Stay with us. Idaho police are currently searching for a white car said to have been seen outside the home where four college students were murdered more than three weeks ago. CNN's Veronica Miracle reports on why investigators want to talk to the driver and any passengers who were in that white car. Police in Moscow, Idaho, are now looking for a white 2011 to 2013 Hyundai Elantra like this one, seen around the time of the murders near the off-campus home several of the victims shared. Investigators say information about the sedan and at least one person seen inside the car came from some of the more than 6,000 tips they've received from the public. Police say they believe whoever was in the car could have, quote, critical information to share, and they are urgently asking the public for any other details as they continue their investigation. We still have thousands of leads and tips that we're working through. We're continuously making progress. We're interviewing people daily. So we're we're moving forward. It's been almost a month since four University of Idaho students were stabbed to death on November 13th, and police have still not found a murder weapon or named a suspect in the case. Investigators are still looking at the victim's activities in the hours before the murders and have addressed speculation that victim Kaylee Gonsalves may have had a stalker. From the tips and leads that we received, we were able to find a singular incident uh, that we thoroughly investigated and determined to the best of our ability that it was not related. Investigators continue to look into the possibility of a stalker. And now, as students at the University of Idaho head into their last week of the fall semester, roughly a third are choosing to stay home for the rest of the year. And police are also asking for information about what happened at the Sigma Chi party that Ethan and Zana attended in the hours before their deaths. Jake. All right, Veronica Miracle, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Coming up, what's revealed in the new Netflix documentary about Harry and Meghan and the part Buckingham Palace might fear the most? Stay with us. And we're back with breaking news. The Justice Department is asking a federal judge to hold Donald Trump in contempt of court 
over the Mar-a-Lago classified documents investigation. CNN's Caitlin Palance joins us live. Caitlin, what are prosecutors arguing here? Well, Jake, prosecutors are saying they are not satisfied with even recent searches Donald Trump's team has done of four different locations where he could have been keeping documents still after the presidency. We just learned uh, the other day about these searches, one in New Jersey, one in New York, two in Florida, where two documents that were marked as classified were found and handed back over to investigators. The reason those searches were taking place now uh, was because there's been this subpoena that's been out there telling Donald Trump's team, you need to give everything back to the federal government that might be yours, that might be a national security secret. That subpoena has been in existence for months, and the Justice Department keeps trying to enforce it. So the latest chapter of this now is that those searches were done by Donald Trump's team. The Justice Department is saying in court, it's not enough. We don't believe uh, possibly that, that you have turned over everything. We need more. And they are asking a federal judge, Chief Judge Beryl Howell of the D.C. District Court, to hold Donald Trump in contempt, to hold his office after the presidency in contempt of court. Now, there hasn't been a decision yet by the judge uh, at this time, Jake. But one of the possible consequences here is daily fines if Trump continues uh, not to be in compliance with a subpoena like this. All right, Kaylin Palance, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Next, brand new details about Brittany Griner's release as the WNBA star gets ready to land in Texas at any moment. But first, we're going to take a look at a special all-star tribute to American heroes. Check this out. Someday, it's the time of year to be inspired and honor some of humanity's best. We have found homes for almost 3,000 dogs. Our community engagement center used to be the community drug house. I want my grandchildren to have it better than what I have it today. It has always wanted to serve other people. Human suffering has no borders. People are people, and love is love. Join Anderson Cooper and Kelly Ripa live as they present the 2022 Hero of the Year. Join me in honoring CNN Hero of the Year. CNN Heroes, an all-star tribute, Sunday at 8. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. This hour, a damning new report about the Washington Commander's NFL team and the culture of fear that the team's owner allegedly used to cover up years of sexual misconduct. Plus, 65 years later, police in Philadelphia have finally a name for the so-called boy in a box. whose lifeless body was found wrapped inside a blanket in a cardboard box in 1957. Philly police say they also have a theory about who killed him. And leading this hour, Olympic gold medalist and WNBA star Brittany Griner is on her way back to the United States after being released from a Russian penal colony in a high-profile prisoner swap. Griner was wrongfully detained in Russia back in February for carrying a small amount of medically prescribed cannabis oil. She was then convicted and sentenced to nine years in Russian prison. After months of negotiations, the White House agreed to release notorious convicted Russian arms dealer Victor Boot in exchange for Griner's freedom. Griner's wife, Sherelle, spoke at the White House this morning. So over the last nine months, y'all have been um, so privy to one of the darkest moments of my life. And so today I'm just standing here 
um, overwhelmed with emotions, but the most important emotion that I have right now is just sincere gratitude. While Griner's release is no doubt cause for celebration, Griner's wife and President Biden both acknowledged the other wrongfully detained Americans still being held in Russia. The administration insists they did everything they could to try and also secure the release of former American Marine Paul Whelan, who's currently serving a 16-year prison sentence on trumped-up espionage charges, charges he vehemently denies. CNN spoke exclusively on the phone to Whelan from the Russian prison about Griner's release. I'm greatly disappointed that more has not been done to secure my release. I don't understand why I'm still sitting here. Our coverage starts today with CNN's Alex Marquardt on more on how Griner was released this morning and how Biden managed to negotiate his second Russian prisoner swap this year. The dramatic moment of the high-stakes prisoner swap. Brittany Griner in the red coat walking towards the American plane. Coming towards them, State Department official Roger Karstens, accompanying Victor Boot, who was hugged by a Russian official. This new video from Russian state media shows Griner leaving Russian detention and boarding the plane in the snow. Her passport returned. Griner smiles, knowing she's heading home. Are you ready for a flight? Uh, yes. Congratulations again. Back in the U.S., Griner's wife, Sherelle, was invited to the White House. Today, I'm just standing here um, overwhelmed with emotions, but... The most important emotion that I have right now is just sincere gratitude um, for President Biden and his entire administration. The release was the culmination of many months of negotiations with Russia. This work is not easy. Negotiations are always difficult. There are never any guarantees. But it's my job as president of the United States to make the hard calls and protect American citizens everywhere in the world. The WNBA star, who was caught with cannabis oil entering Russia, spent 10 months in Russian detention. But now she's spared from a brutal nine-year sentence in a Russian penal colony. U.S. officials said that the trade for notorious Russian weapons smuggler Victor Boot was finalized in the past 48 hours. Griner was moved from her prison to Moscow before being flown to Abu Dhabi, where the exchange took place on the tarmac of a small private airfield. I'm glad to be able to say that Brittany's in good spirits. She, uh, she's relieved to finally be heading home. The U.S. wanted to trade boot for both Griner and American Paul Whelan, but Russia refused. In an exclusive interview from his penal colony, Whelan told CNN he's surprised he wasn't included. I'm greatly disappointed that more has not been done to secure my release. I'm happy that Brittany is going home today and that Trevor went home when he did. But I don't understand why I'm still sitting here. My bags are packed. I'm ready to go home. Whelan told CNN that the Russians see him at a higher level than Greiner. He's been charged with espionage and sentenced to 16 years. This was not a choice of which American to bring home. The choice was one or none. I wholeheartedly wish that we could have brought Paul home today on the same plane as Brittany. The big question now is how to get Paul Whelan home, who the Russians will want in exchange, and whether the U.S. will be willing to do it. Jake, you could hear in that exclusive interview that Paul Whelan did with our colleague Jennifer Hansler that he is deeply frustrated. He says that today Russia got the better deal. The, gr the grinder was exchanged for what he called a world-class felon. He said he believes that Russia is dangling him, Paul Whelan, over Biden's head 
and that they will want something big in exchange. Now, as for Brittany Griner, she is on her way back to the United States. She is due to land in San Antonio, Texas. We don't quite know when. That, of course, is where Trevor Reed was also taken when he was released uh, by the Russians back in April. And that is where Griner like Reed, will be able to get any medical attention that she needs. All right, Alex Marquardt, thanks so much. Brittany Griner's basketball team, the Phoenix Mercury, has been tweeting for weeks, counting the days that Griner has been in Russian custody, calling for her release. Today, the team tweeted, no more days. She's coming home. Joining us now is Terry Jackson. She's the executive director of the Women's National Basketball Players Association. Thanks so much for joining us. How'd you feel this morning when you heard the news? Thank you, Jake. I, um... I go to bed every night saying Brittany's coming home tomorrow. So I was anxiously anticipating this morning. Um, I thought I was just going to be happy, happy, happy. And I, I was, but hearing the news just released the gates of emotion. I sobbed like I haven't sobbed in quite a long time, but it was all tears of joy, Have pure you- joy. Have you been told any information about how Brittany is doing? Um, I have not. I have not. You know, I've done these interviews in the past, spoken with you and your, your, your colleagues. And I say every time I see an image of BG, I lean in to see if I can read her face. Um, she has beautiful cheekbones. She's she's striking. And just seeing just seeing the smile, um, seeing that there was a, a, some good spirits there made me feel good, but I know that there is a journey ahead um, of healing and, and wellness, and, and we are all here for it for her. Have you spoken to Brittany's family at all or any of her teammates? What, what are they saying? Um, well, her teammates, yes, of course. Those are my members. Those are my bosses. Those are who I report to. So, yes, um, they, are, they are filled with joy. Um, we've had conversations, live conversations, a lot of texting, and you, as you can imagine, Lots of emoji-filled texts. Um, I I have sent messages to Sherelle knowing that she will respond to me when she can, when she has a moment. No, you know, no expectation there. But I've also been very closely um, tied to her team, Lindsay Kagawa-Colas, who is her representation here in the U.S. and in the WNBA, um, and has really been leading this effort uh, magnificently. And so... We have been in touch. And so, you know, I I just can't wait to hear that BG's feet are on U.S. soil. Do you expect that she'll be able to continue playing basketball professionally? Um, (laughs) What's what's going on? That's my my family (laughs) has been in the trenches on on this. That's wonderful. um, That's so sweet. Yes, yes, yes. Um, Do I... Do I expect that she'll be playing soon? Was that the question? Yeah. You know what? I expect and hope that BG does whatever brings her joy. Um, Would we, would I love to see her back amongst the 144 so that we are truly complete? Absolutely. But what I want for BG is what is best for BG and only she can determine that. But I support wherever she lands one thousand percent all right go give your your son another hug terry jackson thanks so much really appreciate your time thank you just in new video showing victor boot arriving back in moscow he was the russian arms dealer who was returned to russia in exchange for Brittany griner's release and cnn's nick payton walsh joins us now from london to talk about this and nick you're one of the few u.s journalists who has had access to victor boot tell us about him 
Yeah, I mean, this is a man of extraordinary contradictions, frankly, because of the denials he's always put out there publicly uh, that he is somehow just a pilot, an entrepreneur who's happened to be moving material, non-military material around some of the key conflict zones in the 90s and early 2000s. And at the same time, is obviously of such extraordinary value to Russia that they've been through this high profile diplomatic to and fro over months to get him home. Decades, you might even say. He is accused by UN investigators, by analysts, by journalists, by officials of being one of the most prolific arm dealers possibly in history. Again, something he denies. Having worked in Africa to fuel its small wars in the 90s, in Afghanistan, he's a man too who's intensely charming, frankly, if you're speaking to him. In the months I spent trying to get him to agree to a sit-down interview 13 years ago as he awaited extradition in Thailand, but also too has a personal history, it seems, with so many of the key characters you might know from some of those conflicts, all of which makes it increasingly hard to fully buy into the blanket denial that he's just a nobody who's really good with planes. And you're seeing clearly here in the efforts made by Russia in the uh, clear publicity of filming his arrival in Moscow there, getting on the plane in Abu Dhabi, a very gaunt figure, frankly, from the slightly portly man who was clearly enjoying the high life in 2008 when uh, the US DEA caught him in a Thailand hotel. Um, But absolutely Russia keen to show everybody exactly uh, how how successful they feel this operation and get him back has been. Jake? And, and back in July, Nick, I spoke with former U.S. Attorney Preet Bharara, who prosecuted Victor Boot back in 2011. Take a listen to what Preet had to say about Victor Boot. I can say from my perspective as the person who oversaw the prosecution of Victor Boot, he's a dangerous person. Uh, he was one of the most prolific arms dealers in the world. He was convicted in a U.S. federal court in New York of conspiracy to kill Americans. How concerned should the world be about Victor Boot being a free man again? Look, I mean, it's important to point out what he was convicted in the U.S. court for was a sting operation where he essentially agreed on tape to sell weapons that could have killed Americans. A bad crime, certainly, but not connected to the broader career history he was accused of, of which there's plenty of evidence of his wrongdoing. Has he been out of circulation for 13, 14 years? Well, yes. I mean, I tried to exchange emails to him when he was in a U.S. prison. They were pretty quickly shut down. So he was hardly keeping himself familiar with the contacts that he had. He's always denied Uh, in public, being the figure he's been made out to be, with this sort of background wink-wink in his entourage that something else possibly is going on. Here's uh, what happened when I spoke to him a few years ago. This is a lie and just bullshit. And I never supplied arm as such uh, at all, and especially never had any deal with Al-Qaeda. I don't want you to say now this or that. Have you ever worked for the Russian government? Sometimes, yeah, we did decline. There you saw in the middle there his mother, who hugged him in Moscow today, interrupting our interview all those 13 years ago. Look, he's probably not the most current arms dealer, frankly, after all that time in prison. He most likely is a man of a lot of historical knowledge, possibly great uh, contacts in Russia's elite. And that may be why they're so keen to have him home. Plus also showing those in the elite now fighting in Ukraine's war that Moscow will come and look out for them. Jake. All right, Nick Payton Walsh, thank you so much. Breaking news, CNN has just learned which Trump associates could face criminal referrals from the January 6th committee. We'll bring you those names next. Plus, more arrests in a foiled far-right plot to overthrow the German government. At least 50 people behind bars. Stay with us. 
Topping our politics lead, CNN has learned the names of some of the former Trump aides and advisors that the January 6th committee is considering, just considering, for criminal referrals to the Justice Department. These would be in addition to a potential referral for the former president. Again, we don't know of any actual referrals being made, but that decision, whether or not to refer, could come as early as Sunday. Here's Sarah Murray with the details. A handful of Donald Trump's former aides and advisors. They cheated with the machines. State election officials ignored or violated the state law. Mr. Clark, yes. how are you? Good morning. Especially with DOJ. Could face criminal referrals from the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. The committee considering referrals for former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, lawyer John Eastman, former Justice Department official Jeffrey Clark, and former Trump attorney Rudy Giuliani, sources tell CNN. We want to make sure no one slips through the cracks. We want to make sure that the, the key organizers and movers of this attack don't escape um, the uh, scrutiny of the justice system. There's still no final decisions on who to refer to the Justice Department and for what offenses. But the committee hopes to make those decisions in a meeting on Sunday. Do you expect to make a decision about who would be on the list of criminal referrals at this Sunday meeting? That's the plan. Yes. CNN previously reported the committee is also weighing a referral for former President Trump. Even though what we're doing is just making a referral of our views, we want to take it very seriously. The committee aiming to release its final report and its list of criminal referrals on December 21st. There will be some kind of a public-facing event. We've not uh, decided exactly what that would look like. As the committee wraps up its work, former President Trump is facing legal jeopardy on a number of fronts. The case against the former president just gets worse and worse and worse. He faces scrutiny for the plot to try to upend the results of the 2020 election, as well as his handling of sensitive government documents after leaving the White House. The FBI recovered more than 100 documents with classified markings after searching Mar-a-Lago in August. It's not a crime. And... They should give me immediately back everything that they've taken from me because it's mine. A subsequent search by a firm hired by Trump's lawyers uncovered two more documents with classified markings from a Florida storage unit. And today, Trump decided not to ask the Supreme Court to revive a special master reviewing the evidence from Mar-a-Lago, a source tells CNN, after a lower court struck down the third party review. Now, we are also learning from sources that the Justice Department has asked a federal judge to hold Donald Trump in contempt for failing to comply with that subpoena over the summer. This is all happening in secret court proceedings, but there is a hearing, again, all behind closed doors on Friday, where a judge will consider this matter. If held in contempt, Trump or his post-presidency office could face fines, Jake. All right, Sarah Murray, thanks so much. Let's discuss with my august panel. Casey, just to go over these names again, the committee is considering referrals for... Former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, uh, lawyer John Eastman, former Justice Department official Jeffrey Clark, and former Trump attorney Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> yes, uh, according to our reporting. And, I mean, look, that list, I don't think is, there's any surprises truly on that list. I mean, these are uh, the people, particularly if you are an attorney, you do potentially, there's potentially more room for you to be breaking the law, especially if um, you're, you're engaged in some of the type of conduct that... Um, <laughs> Mark Meadows and Rudy Giuliani have apparently been engaged in. Um, but whether this, you know, matters in the long run, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm really interested to learn more, and I'm hoping we learn more as this final report comes out about why the Justice Department 
has not received transcripts and information from the January 6th committee that they've asked for. I feel like there's got to be a reason for why that's been happening, and I haven't been able to get my sources to give me a good explanation. I'm hoping that we learn more about that. One of the things that's interesting, Audie, uh, is the fact that there are people uh, who have been part, who have been provided es- uh, evidence and testimony and all sorts of information to the January 6th committee that apparently the Justice Department has never even talked to. Uh, so it, it does make some of the people who are witnesses for the January 6th committee wonder why the Justice Department is, is so behind. Right. I mean, I think we should be wary of speculating on that because holistically, it's not as though DOJ is not investigating the totality of this, right? They've had some seditious conspiracy um, convictions that they've had in recent weeks. Jack Smith has now sent out subpoenas to swing states um, where the fake elector scheme was being pushed. Jack Smith, the uh, special counsel. The special counsel. So it's it's hard to look at it in isolation and say, well, what about the the criminal refers, et cetera, because there is an active investigation going on. And I I do think we're going to know fairly soon, given the speed with which he's moving, where those things are finally going to intersect. And and David Urban, this this all happens at the same time uh, that Donald Trump uh, just, he's being criticized right now for meeting with a uh, Pizzagate QAnon conspiracy theorist, that insane theory about the pedophiles at the pizzeria. And that comes a few weeks after Trump met with a couple uh, prominent uh, anti-Semites and Holocaust deniers. Uh, I, I don't, I mean... Yeah, inauspicious is not a word that you would... You know, I don't even know, like, how do you describe, since the annou- his announcement of a re-elect, it hasn't gone smoothly, to say the least, right? So I, I'm not sure who's, who's steering the ship, right? I mean, there's, there are presumably staff people around the president. There are the president himself, right? But how, how is this all occurring? If he's running a campaign, it doesn't seem he's doing too good of a job at this point. And, and Ashley, uh, even former White House advisors Larry Kudlow and Kellyanne Conway uh, are confused about what's going on down there in Mar-a-Lago. Take a listen. I don't understand what our former boss is doing. I love the guy, but I do not understand Kanye West hanging out with white nationalists, hanging out with anti-Semitic people, talking about ending the Constitution or postponing the Constitution. I don't get it. But again, he should just dis- he should dis- he should completely distance himself from that. I, I think he said I didn't know anything about this guy. I was trying to help Kanye West. And I disagree with everything they say and stand for. But he's not. No, he's not. Um, and I don't think he will. Um, And I'm not surprised, and I don't have any high expectations for our former president. I think he's spiraling. I don't think he's listening to anyone but the voices in his head. And I think we will see more and more. But I don't know if that means that Donald Trump will go away. I still think we'll— not going away. He's not going away. And um, we'll see if anyone steps up to really contest him in 2024. Um, And if not, I mean, the Republicans are in real big trouble if this continues to be the headline. One thing I will say that is interesting is— Will the stories and topics shift once Republicans take the House and they start to govern and committees get formed? It's interesting to see how they might try and uh, usurp some of his headlines with some of their investigations. One of the things that's interesting um, is that, uh, I mean, Donald Trump meeting with Holocaust deniers and anti-Semites, I mean, just fairly blatant ones, uh, Kanye West, also known as Ye, and Nick Fuentes, uh, prompted um, this from Kellyanne Conway. I would like to hear more from his daughter, who's Jewish. I would like to hear more from his son-in-law, who's the only person from the administration, Larry, to benefit in the bees with billions. It'd be nice for them to weigh in when you and I are expected to. 
Is wow. It, uh, that's, that was an interesting comment, I thought. Yes, uh, yes that is a very interesting Especially because it comment. could have come two years ago, right, uh, after <laughs> Charlottesville. And I think I, I am not a person at this point who is wondering who's around him, who's wondering what it all means. Actions speak louder than words. And at this point, every action by the president is signaling to him the constituency that he wants to maintain. Because it's very easy to say no or not be in these meetings. Right, exactly right. He's not distancing himself from these individuals because he doesn't want to lose any votes. He thinks that there are people who believe in this Holocaust denial and anti-Semitism and he, and he wants their support. Yeah, and well, I mean, the lengths that he's gone when he does receive support from these people to not alienate them is just um, remarkable. I mean, he clearly is embracing them. I mean, this is the big difference between... I remember that moment where somebody stood up and raised the racist birther conspiracy about Obama at a John McCain town hall. Mm -hmm. And John McCain stood up and he said, no, we're not doing that. Right. Right. And that's really the big difference between Donald Trump and many of the leaders of the Republican Party that came before. There's always been an element in our society that has believed many of these terrible things that has held racist views that have been anti-Semitic. But the difference is that our leaders have been willing to say, this is not acceptable. And the reality is people do listen to our leaders. This is why there are so many Americans now who think the election was stolen, because they view Donald Trump as their leader, and that's what he's telling them to do. And the fact that he's not doing it, it's, it's, I'm sorry, but it matters a lot. It's important, and I'm glad we're focusing on it. And I'd say this is, you know, the the lesson that Republicans learned in this midterm, right, was that all the voters sent a message, like, we don't want this anymore, right? right? We need to move away from this. Independents broke wildly away from Republicans, sending a message, we don't want this Trump stuff anymore. We need to move back to the center. All Trump candidates, I mean, there was an infographic that we had up before on the, on the network where Trump candidate after Trump candidate after Trump candidate after Trump lost, yeah. right? I mean, they lost because that message does not, people want, they, they, they reject this. So the American people reject this, voters reject this, I hope at some point the Republican Party stands up and say, we reject it very loudly. Otherwise, otherwise, it. otherwise, we're not going to win. We're going to keep losing. But, but some of these races were still really close. I mean, well, we just came out of Georgia. And when you think a Herschel Walker should have been beat by 15, 20 points, he wasn't. It was in a runoff because Warnock couldn't get 50 percent. So I still think, to Casey's point, there is a group of this population that have been emboldened and continue to be emboldened with Trump's behavior. And he is not going to turn his back on that component because he thinks he can split the in the primary yeah. and win. I just want to make it clear. I, I believe it's not nearly, you know, it's not a majority of the Republican Party by any long stretch. It is a thin slice, a thin slice, enough to get you through a, a primary and, and 30, 33 percent, whatever that number is, that's what Trump's courting here, not the, the bulk of the Republican Party. Yeah, but getting 60, through a primary is what no, no, but, about But right 60, 70 percent so of the Republican Party rejects this kind of views, okay? Just let's be clear. I mean, to go back to the original soundbite that you played, Jake, too, um, I take Adi's point for sure. But I think also what Kellyanne was kind of saying is that, hey, like, these guys are really— Jared Kushner benefited. He made a lot of money from his father-in-law being in the White House. And now he's not actually taking a role standing up and yeah. saying, hey, this is wrong— uh, when he is probably the most prominent Jewish member of uh, the former administration, um, Ivanka Trump has put out a statement saying, I'm not doing this again. Right. right? I mean, that says a lot about. Um, she didn't say, I'm not doing this again because of anti Semitism, no, no, right? Of it was, not. She I'm said, not going to participate in another live round. My private life. Right. She says she wants to spend time with <laughs> yeah, her family. Just to be clear. Um, but, uh, David, I want to ask you um, because you used to represent Paul Whelan. You're also friends with Ambassador Roger Carston. 
uh, Carson's, who, who negotiated uh, the trade, Victor Boot, for Brittany Griner, uh, former Trump administration uh, holdover kept yep. on by Biden, um, doing a lot to get ho- American detainees and hostages out of these countries. We have seen a lot of Republicans, including uh, Congressman Waltz on the show earlier, criticizing this deal, saying, look, they got out a celebrity instead of a veteran. Yeah, so look, Roger Carson is doing an incredible job. Can't speak highly enough for him. And I, I, I agree with them, um, with uh, the National Security Advisor was on earlier saying, look, we can get one out or none out, right? You take the one and uh, you move on and you keep hoping. I'm happy for Brittany Griner and her family. You know, Godspeed to them. And uh, look, I, Paul Wheeler, we're going to keep praying for him and hoping and uh, hope the Russians come to the table again. All right. Thanks one and all for being here. Really appreciate it. Be sure to check out Audie's podcast. It's called The Assignment with Audie Cornish. New episodes drop every Thursday. That's today. It is. That's today. All right. Check it out. <laughs> It sounds like something out of the Nazi era. Far-right extremists demanding citizens turn in their passports because they are not, quote, German enough. New and terrifying details emerging about the foiled coup plot in Germany. Stay with us. Today in Germany, not the fairy tale ending that a former prince involved in a coup plot was no doubt hoping for. He and 24 other suspects were arrested Wednesday for their roles in the far-right conspiracy to violently overthrow the German government. And now German authorities say there are at least 54 total suspects. And as CNN's Fred Pleiken reports for us, more arrests could be coming soon. It could have been a January 6th-style insurrection in Germany. Violent protesters trying to storm German parliament in August 2020 one of the leading groups, the Reichsbürger, or citizens of the Reich, now accused of plotting a coup in Germany. This is obviously one of the largest terrorist organizations that has existed in the right-wing sector in recent years, Bavaria's interior minister said. It certainly seems to be the worst we have seen so far in the spectrum of the Reichsbürger and QAnon scenes. German authorities say they believe there will be more arrests after massive raids on Wednesday. The number of suspects has already risen to more than 50 possible co-conspirators of the group, allegedly led by this man, 71-year-old Prince Heinrich XIII of the House of Reuss. CNN efforts to reach him for comment have so far been unsuccessful. Residents of Heinrich's hometown say the suspicious activity was already well underway. His followers had even demanded citizens ditch their German passports. We were told that we were not German because our passports were not German. We were then given the opportunity to apply for our German origin documents with the Reuss administration, the deputy mayor said. Authorities say the Reichsbürger want to set up a monarchy in Germany and have scores of right-wing extremists in their ranks. Among those arrested, several former soldiers and a former member of German parliament from a far-right political party. German extremism experts warn, like in the U.S., the number of extremists looking to undermine democracy is growing. It's a development which shows that right-wing extremism is moving from the margins to the center and that protagonists from the scene can imagine overthrowing the state order. It's a very dangerous development. German criminal authorities say they are continuing to identify people possibly involved in the planned coup. And while that plan may have been thwarted this time, groups like Reichsbürger pose an increasing threat to Germany's democratic order.
And Jake, tonight the German authorities are also saying that they understand the way that this group wanted to do this. They wanted to occupy a lot of German government buildings, like, for instance, the German parliament. Now, the German authorities are saying they don't believe that this had a high chance of success if they would have gone through with it. But they also said that after searching a lot of locations in Germany, at least in 50 places, they found weapons that these people were hoarding in those places and possibly willing to use. The Germans are saying this is an extremely dangerous group. And what makes it even more dangerous is that it's intertwined with groups like QAnon that are extremely strong here in Germany, other conspiracy theories, and of course, also right-wing extremists as well, Jake. All right, Fred Pleitkin in Berlin, Germany, thanks so much. The shocking details about how Washington Commander's owner Dan Snyder created a, quote, culture of fear meant to silence team employees, allegedly. The new report next. In the sports lead, a damning report from House Democrats on the Oversight Committee revealing a, quote, culture of fear in the front office of the Washington Commander's football team. The investigation found, quote, sexual harassment, bullying, and other toxic culture pervaded that workplace. The report also alleges that the team owner, Dan Snyder, lied when he appeared before Congress back in July. Let's bring in CNN's Tom Foreman. Tom, what's also potentially disturbing is, according to this report, the NFL and the Commander's franchise tried to cover up the misconduct for years. Yeah, for 20 years, if you believe this report, Jake. Look, it's summed up in one early sentence where they say that Mr. Snyder endorsed a toxic culture at the commanders in which sexual misconduct, exploitation of women, bullying of men, and other inappropriate behavior was commonplace. What are they talking about? Look further in the report where they talked about a time when they say that he had the cheerleaders paraded out onto the field while he and his friends gawked from his suite through binoculars. In another case, somebody on the video team there said they were ordered to produce a lewd video comprised of outtakes from a cheerleader's photo shoot showing their exposed intimate body parts without their knowledge or consent for Mr. Snyder's personal consumption. And further on, some people who were fairly high placed in the organization, they gave quotes to this investigation too. One man said there was the culture was rife with sexual harassment in the workplace and a frat house mentality. And look at this, a woman who worked there said, harassment happened every single day that you were on site. Of course, Dan Snyder has said, uh, has denied a great deal of this as the process has gone forward. And the Washington commanders issued a statement today saying that the congressional investigators were not interested in the truth, only in chasing headlines that this was a one-sided approach. Uh, Tom, according to the Democrats on the Oversight Committee, Snyder tried to interfere even with this report. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot in this report about how he tried to blame others for anything that did happen. He claimed that this was mainly a defamation campaign against him, which, according to the report, became a pretext for hiring private investigators to look into former employees, other NFL people, including Roger Goodell, all of these folks, all in the name of protecting himself. The NFL says, look, we fined him $10 million last year, and now the team may be up for sale anyway. But it's quite a report, Jake. All right, Tom Foreman, thanks so much. And this comes just a day after President Biden signed into law the Speak Out Act that prohibits the enforcement of non-disclosure agreements when it comes to cases of sexual assault and harassment in the workplace if they were signed before the alleged incident. One of the main proponents behind the bill is Gretchen Carlson, formerly of Fox. 
She joins us now, Gretchen. Today, the House Oversight Committee concluded that, quote, bullying and intimidation, sexual harassment, and a culture of fear pervaded the Washington Commander's football organization for many years. This was all under the leadership of Commander's owner Dan Snyder. Uh, What's your reaction to the investigation findings? I'm not surprised. Look, misogyny and harassment are all about power. And many times people in these roles who are misogynistic believe that they're above the law. And, you know, he also did not allow anyone to get out of their non-disclosure agreements to be able to testify for this report, um, which is also not surprising. So it's just disappointing. But look, the work I've been doing for the last six and a half years is changing the environment so that this is no longer acceptable. And I'm working to give people their voices back so that they can actually fight back against misogynists who continue to try to exert their power over them. Well, let's talk about that because you helped usher two bills through Congress to help end the culture of toxic workplaces. Explain to us what the the two bills do. So the first one was signed by the president and I was uh, with him on that day on March 3rd. This gets rid of forced arbitration clauses for harassment and assault in the workplace. And people will say, well, what's that? Um, Forced arbitration clauses have become pervasive. 84% of all Americans have them in their workplace contracts right now. What that means is you don't get to go to an open jury process. You go to a secret chamber. And that's what's been happening to tons of women and other people who face discrimination over the years. And that's why we never knew about these cases, because they were going away to secrecy. That law um, was one of the biggest labor law changes in the last 100 years. And then we immediately got to work on the Speak Out Act because we also want to take on non-disclosure agreements. We believe that these are the two silencing mechanisms that keep these kinds of stories from the general public. And that was signed by the president yesterday. We got overwhelmingly bipartisan support for both of these bills. So in a span of just eight months, Jake, uh, my organization, along with Julie Raginsky, Lift Our Voices, we have passed some of the biggest labor law changes for women in the last 100 years. That's fantastic. Congratulations. And as you mentioned, Dan Snyder, he refused to release employees from their NDAs, their non-disclosure agreements, so they could speak to Congress uh, for the investigation. Would that have been a violation of the law that just passed, or is it just going forward? No, uh, this is retroactive. And so if you currently have a forced arbitration clause in your contract, or if you have an NDA that you signed on your first day of work, you don't have to abide by that anymore if you want to bring forth harassment or assault claims. That's why this is so monumental. I mean, this is a game changer for people to be able to own their own truths and own their own voices and their own experiences. And in 2022, at Lift Our Voices, we believe that that is what is just. What's your message to anyone out there who might be currently struggling in a toxic workplace environment and and is terrified to speak up because they might lose their job. Yeah, that's still the culture that we live in. And so, you know, we start this report talking about the commanders. I often say that passing two bipartisan bills into law in the last year was actually easier in a in the most hyper political time of my generation than changing culture. And that's saying a lot because it is so embedded in the American culture, unfortunately, that we penalize the people who have the courage to come forward and we force them out and they never work again. And then we somehow continue to prop up predators, even when they're not the moneymakers at the company. So we are also working at Lift Our Voices about trying to get to the culture. And we are chipping away at that by passing these laws. And we encourage companies to get on the right side of history with us and change their policies um, to become more transparent. That's the way that workers want it. Um, And in 2022, they deserve to know that they won't be silenced. 
You signed an NDA when you settled with Fox. Um, would your legislation get you out of that NDA? No. Uh, this legislation is as far as we could go to get bipartisan support. This is only pre-dispute non-disclosure agreements that go away. So my NDA is still fully intact, unfortunately. But you know, um, you know, certainly I would have a lot to say if I was ever able to get out of my NDA. But the one thing I did get in my settlement, Jake, was that they gave me the opportunity to speak about these issues, and I have taken full advantage of that. I'm changing the workplace culture for millions of people in America that I will never, ever meet. And that, to me, will be my legacy. And it will be far more important than anything else I've ever done in my life, except having my two children. All right. Well, congratulations again to you, Gretchen. Good work. A big development. Thanks for having me on. A big development uh, in a cold case that's 60 years old. How new DNA technology helped identify the murder victim known in Philadelphia as the boy in the box. Stay with us. International lead after nearly 66 years. Philadelphia police finally have a name for the so-called boy in the box. With the help of DNA analysis, police were able to identify the young child who was found dead, left inside a cardboard box in northeast Philadelphia. CNN's Bryn Gingras is following the case. Bryn, what is the boy's name? Yeah, Jake, his name is Joseph Augustus Zarelli, and that means that name is now going to go on a tombstone in the Philadelphia area that once read America's Unknown Child. Now, this is so significant, of course, for family members, but also just for investigative purposes, because, of course, it is still very difficult to solve a homicide when you don't even know the victim's name. But this still remains the longest unsolved homicide in Philadelphia's history. But how did detectives get to here? Well, they exhumed the boy's body twice. On the second time, they were able to get enough of a sample to be able to put that into a DNA database and compare that with like a genealogical sort of database. And they were able to actually identify this boy's parents who are both now deceased and also siblings. And that has, of course, brought them to this boy's name. Investigators say they hope now that the name's out there, they will get tips. Take a listen. We're going to filter through each and every one of those tips, but, but in, in that avalanche, there might be a diamond in the rough. I'm hopeful that there's somebody who was in their, in their mid to late 70s, possibly 80s, who remembers that child. Now, investigators say they have a suspicion who might be responsible for this, Jake, but they wouldn't lead on to that. And they also won't release the names of the family members that are still surviving. So this is one we'll stay on for you. All right, Bryn Gingras, thank you so much. Coming up, her heart will go on, but her voice for now will be silenced because of a rare medical condition. Stay with us. In our pop culture lead, she was already famous, but she shot to superstardom singing the theme for the 1997 film, The Titanic. Today, singer Celine Dion revealed that she's been diagnosed with a rare neurological syndrome that's forcing her to postpone an upcoming European tour until at least 2024. In an emotional video she posted on Instagram, Dion said she has stiff person syndrome, which affects the brain and spinal cord and causes 
painful spasms that impact every aspect of her life, including the use of her vocal cords. Dion is working with doctors and a sports medicine therapist, but says since she cannot give 100% on stage, she will not be taking the stage anytime soon. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Jake Tapper. Tweet the show at the Lead CNN. If you ever miss an episode of the show, you can listen to Lead wherever you get your podcasts. Our coverage continues now with Wolf Blitzer in the Situation Room. See you tomorrow. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number Smart Beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 Smart Bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.